The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome back to This Is Working. Our show offers the leaders of today an opportunity to share their knowledge with the leaders of tomorrow. Each episode of our podcast draws from a live conversation I had on LinkedIn. You'll hear my guests' top takeaways alongside analysis and deeper dives from me and my colleague, Nina Melendez. Hi, Nina. Hi, Dan. Dan, you just came back from vacation. I did. I did. I was out for four days. I don't know why not a full week, but it was a four-day vacation and uh, went out west, skied with my kids. We have never done anything like that before. Nice. But it was important for me that they learn how to ski. So you ski, you don't snowboard. Uh, I think it's a strong statement to say that I ski at uh-huh. all. Okay. <laughs> um, and I was, we were out with friends who were great skiers, and I realized I never thought I was a good skier, but I realized I'm a really bad skier. Uh-huh. And the entire time I was like, this is I'm not sure what the ba- I got so worried while I was skiing about hurting myself. How do you unplug when you're on vacation? Do you ever really unplug? You mean from work? From work. I do. You know, I do. But it takes me it, it requires like a longer vacation to do mm-hmm. it. The first week, I'm never unplugged. Mm-hmm. And maybe by the end of the second week, mm-hmm. I'm totally unplugged. You're not checking your phone while you're going down the slopes, are you? That's that might be why I'm so nervous <laughs> about getting concerned. hurt. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. No, Is that you're right? not. No, Dan. Yeah, they don't tell you that. So, Dan, before you were off being a menace on the slopes, you had a great conversation with Ginny Rometty, the former CEO of IBM. Yes, that's correct. She's just out with a new book called Good Power. She was IBM's first woman to lead the company, and along the way, she earned all kinds of honors and accolades, including Bloomberg's 50 Most Influential People in the World and Time's 20 Most Important People in Tech. As a CEO, she led the company's transformation, building a $25 billion hybrid cloud business and shifting the company's strategy to focus on new technologies, AI, cognitive computing, blockchain, and cybersecurity. She's hoping to inspire others to make a positive impact. And I'm really excited to talk about some of those ideas today. And what I thought was really unique about this conversation, Dan, is that you asked her about her childhood. There hasn't been a ton of interviews that you've done where you've talked to a leader's background to sort of understand how they are the leader they are today. But you did that with Ginny. And she has a very impressive story of growing up and of hardship. She opens the book talking about her childhood. Mm -hmm. With a really strong quote of hearing her dad say to her mom, I'm I'm done with this family for good, and I don't really care if you have to work the streets. And her dad just leaves, and that's it. That's how the book opens. That is not a typical opener for a CEO biography, and I've read a lot of CEO autobiographies. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a big part of her story. And what was interesting is before we went on air, we talked a little bit about the writing of the book. And Ginny said this was not an easy story to tell. So I wanted to make sure that we talked about that background because it felt very fundamental to who she is. Let's take a listen to what she said. I was raised by really strong women, but they all had a tragedy in their life. And uh, as you read, my great-grandma was the uh, last person alive in her family that came to America from Belarus. She worked uh, cleaning toilets in the Wrigley Building, uh, third shift, put every dime she made into U.S. savings bonds that uh, you know people don't talk about anymore, and that would one day save us from losing our house. 
Um, my grandma lost two husbands. My dad abandoned our family um, when I was 16, but my mom was only 34 years old. She had four kids, never worked a day in her life outside the home, did not have a college degree. I mean, it was a kid raising kids. But I say, out of that, I, and I write about it, took me you know, a lot to be vulnerable to write about it. It was really what we learned from how they reacted to tragedy. So my grandmas and my great-grandma taught us like, hey, hard work, there is always a way out of things. I mean, it's kind of corny, but that's what I witnessed, right? And my mom, I think the biggest thing we all took away, she said, never said it actually, we witnessed it. She's like, no one's gonna define me, no one. Only I will, because she went and got a little bit of school, got a little job, got a little more school, a little better job. And it sort of taught all of us that, okay, no one will ever define us, and only we will define who we are. I really appreciated how open and honest Ginny was in this interview about her background, but also in the book. I mean, it, it takes guts to be so vulnerable. Yeah, one of the things she talked to us about off-air was the fact that she had to really be pushed to be this vulnerable. And when you read the book, it's very clear that Ginny did the work. Mm -hmm. uh, she talks a lot about the impact that her mom has made. And it's really clear in the book that her mom is someone that Ginny looks up to as a person who overcame really difficult odds and had grit and determination and showed her kids what it would mean to continue to battle for something important to you. But it's also very clear that Ginny far exceeded that. I mean, Ginny carved a path that no one in her family had ever gone down before and opened a way for her siblings to follow behind her. And she has incredibly successful siblings, too. It's a three-CEO family, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. At the very end of the book, she lists what her siblings have done or what they're doing now, and you're like, oh, my God, this is, this is like a power family. The Rometty family was not a power family before this. Um, so it's a it, it's a super interesting story about someone overcoming odds and finding a new way, and it's really a testament to Ginny's character. One thing you asked her was whether she thinks that success and hardship are correlated, and I'd love to get your take on that. Do you think that hardship is a precursor to success? I don't. I think that hardship can lead to no success, and I think that having it easy or having a, a path cleared for you can also lead to success. So I think the people who have gone through hardship and have succeeded maybe have something that is a little bit more or a little bit tougher than everyone else. So maybe it adds a, 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 a new element or a separate element, but I don't think it is required to make it happen. What about to be a good leader? I don't think it's required to be a good leader. I think that what's required to be a good leader is empathy and understanding and the ability to be a great communicator. Um, and I think that can come from anywhere. I disagree. Huh. I think that leaders that have gone through a struggle are sharper on the other side than folks who have had it easier. I think that they come with a certain amount of grit, persistence, and compassion that if the ride has been smooth sailing, you just don't have that edge. Hmm. No, I agree with you. I hate to say it. I, I, I would love to get into a fight with you right here about <laughs> this. I'd love to have a good conflict. But I agree with you. You have to have something. You have to have gone through things in your life mm -hmm. because you learn from those. Mm -hmm. I guess my point was you don't have to be born the way Jenny was born in order to be a good right. leader. You don't have to be born into conflict right. to be able to succeed as a leader. But can you be a good leader without having gone through down times? I don't think so. Hmm. 
Let's talk about conflict. Yeah. Because you and Ginny did in the interview, and she had a great point about it. Um, let's listen. One of the biggest things about having good power is, like, embrace tensions. And sometimes tensions mean there's X or Y are neither good choices. And you got to, like, sit in a really uncomfortable spot to figure out the third way through. I often found that idea of, like, run to conflict. Most people are like, no, no, let me delegate conflict. I started to like it because I always knew something better was going to come. Even an upset customer. People are like, I don't want to call them. I'm like, no, no, I I will actually like to call them because... Honestly, I'll get to the bottom of what it really is, and usually you can actually fix what it really is. Ginny was in a situation where she had to drastically change IBM. IBM, during her entire tenure, was a company that was struggling. It is it, She left IBM a much smaller company than the one that she had started with. When you're in growth mode, I think that you can have great feelings all around. Right. When the pie is always getting bigger, it's super easy for everyone to feel great about each other. Yeah. But when the pie is getting smaller, conflicts are going to happen. I think there are different kinds of conflict, though. A conflict for conflict's sake, no one likes to be in that. It's uncomfortable to be in that. And this idea that you need conflict for great things to happen, I don't think that is true. But conflicts are going to arise. And learning how to manage conflicts is really important. So I think if you have structures to be able to do that, if you have ideas about how you escalate things, Hmm. when there is something where two people don't agree and they have a clear understanding of what comes next, Mm -hmm. that's a good conflict. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more on my conversation with Ginny Rometty. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. And we're back. So, Nina, what else stood out to you about this interview? I wonder if Ginny was able to embrace the idea that she might be unliked. Because if you come into a company and there are some major reconstructions that need to happen, layoffs that need to happen, Maybe you just have to be okay with the idea that you're going to be a manager or a leader that people don't like. I've always wondered that. Do you think there's anyone out there who doesn't want to be liked? I mean, don't isn't that like human nature that you want to be liked? I think that some people are better at not being liked than other people. What about you? Do you think that being liked is not as important as just getting the job done? I think you have to be okay with not being liked by everybody. But people have to feel like you're being fair and that you care about them. And I think that's probably where you want to end up as a leader. Hmm. One of the most interesting parts of the book to me and something that we talked about in the interview was how Ginny dealt with selling 
IBM's semiconductor unit. IBM had been a leader in making chips for most of its history, but the unit was a real uh, drag on the company. And she had to come up with a solution. Was she going to sell all of semiconductors? Was she going to sell part of the semiconductor business? How was she going to do this? This was something that was core to IBM's uh, personality. Mm -hmm. And people felt very strongly about the chips. What Ginny did was she pulled two senior leaders who were big supporters of the semiconductor unit together. And she put them in charge of figuring out the solution. And she was very clear with them in what needed to happen. I thought it was a really interesting idea because if they could get religion about what the solution would be, everyone else would fall in line. Everyone at the company knew these people were big defenders of chips. And now if they were saying, well, here's where we need to go in the future, who better than to feel like they are on your side and they have made a hard decision and you're willing to follow them? And apparently those two guys, one of whom became the CEO uh, after Ginny, they really battled it out. They didn't agree with Ginny, and they didn't agree with each other. And eventually, in the end, they came up with a really good solution, which was they got rid of the, the actual uh, factory. So now IBM makes chips, but they have someone else actually produce the uh, IP that they are creating in-house. It was a thoughtful and elegant solution, but it wasn't something that I think people would have embraced if Ginny had just said, top down, this is what we're going to do. That's brilliant. I was impressed. Actually, Dan, what you just said is completely in line with this comment from our member Harpeet Kaur. And he said, speaking about Ginny, you hired amazing and smart people. Now your job is to give them space to let them be successful and indirectly make you successful too. It's key to manage the managers. Oh, it's a great comment and couldn't agree more. Let's hear what Ginny has to say about that. When I was a manager, I was taught two things. First was how I'd really be evaluated is how well my people developed. And I, again, think during these times, this is a really important point. Um, You know, sit there and say, how much do I do to make sure every one of them is better than they were when they started working for me? It's not about you. And this is, to me, like a really big part of the book when I say, you some part in time transition from yourself and caring about yourself to caring about other people at work and like the power of us. I got completely evaluated on their skills, not mine. And... That's a very interesting, so what I would tell managers, A, that. The other thing I would tell managers, I say, again, in in difficult times, do not forget that decisions should be made based on values. I had very early on, a man worked for me, superstar technician, um, and he started telling really bad jokes that would today be unacceptable today, unacceptable then. But he was great. And uh, I went to the person I worked for and I said, you know, I'm starting to hear this is happening. He said, Jenny, this is unequivocal. Fire him. You, you tell him it stops immediately or he's fired. He's like, you got to learn. There are things. These are value-based decisions that in life will be full of them. And I think in these times, making value-based decisions, you know, is a really important thing. You think about when a product goes out. I mean, we can talk about ChatGPT. We could talk about a lot of things. And to make those decisions with values. And uh, in tough times, I think that's because trust becomes a premium, everything that goes around. When we talk about value-based decisions, what values do you think that she's talking about? Is it the company values? Is it her personal values? It's probably both. I think it's it's very important for companies to have values and for people to buy into them and to understand what, what they are, and then to actually see leaders leading against those values. So this is a great example here of Ginny early in her career 
had an incredible performer. This is something that managers struggle with everywhere. Sometimes you have people who are incredible at what they do, and they're such jerks in the office, or they make terrible decisions with customers. And you got to weigh this, you know, do I, do I fire this person? I realize everyone else hates them. How do you deal with this? And the fact that a manager, one of Jenny's managers, took the time to say to her, you got to lead with your values first. Get rid of the, the jerks. And you're going to be better off. You're going to take a short-term hit maybe, but you're going to have a long-term benefit, gain out of that. That's a big deal. You need someone, I think, to clear the space. That's really key because you ask this question of, is it your personal values or is it the company values? If there are no company values, it's all personal values that are doing it, which means everyone is managing in their own way. That's not a successful company. That is not a place that's going to do well when times are tough because it's just a bunch of little mini fiefdoms of everyone making their own decisions. What you want is everyone making decisions together, not some giant bureaucracy where everyone is waiting to hear what the decisions are, but they understand that this is the framework we operate in. There's a set of standards. Absolutely. It's like Ray Dalio's principles. Absolutely. That's exactly it. You have the principles, you have the values, you stick with them. It makes life a lot easier. I have a question about trust and transparency. At a company, how transparent can managers really be? And if they're not transparent enough, does that erode trust? I think that trust is a non-negotiable, that you have to build trust. Transparency, I think, is very important in this because people need to understand what's going on behind making those decisions. But when I used to work in newsrooms at Fortune or at Wired, those daily newsroom meetings were the best. And it was the editor-in-chief explaining what we were doing and what's going on and revealing what's what's happening behind the scenes. And I never talked, you know, from for a lot of my career, I would just sit in the back and listen to what was going on. But it helped me understand the values of the publications I was working for. I learned from my colleagues on how they were getting through tough topics. Why certain decisions were made. Exactly. Like, why are we covering this versus that? Yes. No one would have ever pulled me aside and said, Dan, here's why we're covering this and not covering that, because they never would have thought I needed to know that, which I didn't. But just being in the room and absorbing that helped me think about what should I be covering. So I think transparency allows this kind of these kind of serendipity moments to be able to connect dots. I think that's really important. Before we go, Dan, I loved this little nugget from Ginny about how small actions matter a great deal. And she gave several examples. Let's take a listen. I'm a mosaic of the best of everything I saw because I was this idea of um, ask more questions than you answer, which can be hard sometimes. <laughs> but in this idea of like, if I really listen to you to learn, I mean, have you ever been at a party and you're talking to someone and you're watching them look over <laughs> your shoulder? I mean, maybe it doesn't happen to you, but I'm kind of like, God, is there someone like so much more interesting coming? And I, it's that idea that like in those moments, and that's what I think did it. And I also think it's something that in this country, everywhere, realize, like all those people realized, it was like little things they did. Teachers who stayed after to help you. A teacher who said, you know what, I know you can't afford this. Apply for this scholarship. I mean, I was in Northwestern and killing myself with loans and aid. And a professor said, you know, there's this scholarship with General Motors. I really think, I wouldn't have even known about it, right? Mm -hmm. I think you should apply. So when people do little things that you don't think matters, I think I'm a accumulation of all those things that somebody, some little thing they did. I really love that Jenny talked about this, but I definitely felt it while reading uh, Good Power. Was there anything that someone has done for you that was so small, probably 
to them they might not even remember but has stuck with you oh my to this god day? a million things i mean i i feel like my entire career has been people uh recalibrating me and pointing out things and it could be as small as when i started working i had a mentor who would just tell me very bluntly things that i was doing wrong i said i would do a story at one point and then i never started doing it because I was waiting for her to tell me, all right, now the next step is, the next step is this. And she was like, when you say yes to something, you go and do it. That's it. And it was like, that was, of course, she shouldn't have had to tell me that. But it was this small thing of you make a commitment and you do it. So I, I can't count. I don't think even people realize it, that all of those, every time someone tells me something, it gets, it gets added to who I am. Do you have any good examples of that? Yeah, I actually have one here at LinkedIn. Someone who was so generous with her time for something, you know, a, a passion project outside of work. And I just pulled her aside and I asked her for guidance. And she acted like me asking her for help was something positive for her. Like, I'm making time for this. I'm excited. And from then on, I thought if anyone ever asked me to do the same, I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. One of the things that Jenny talks about was that she would say yes Anytime anyone asked her for help. Hmm. And because she said yes to everything, everyone said yes to her back. Mm -hmm. And But she wasn't doing it to get those yeses in return. She was doing it because she believed in helping others. And I think what you're talking about is exactly that. What do you think about my conversation with Ginny Rometty? What do you feel matters most in leaders when they have to make hard decisions? Let us know on LinkedIn using the hashtag ThisIsWorking or send us your voice. Make a voice memo on your cell phone and email it to us at thisisworking at linkedin.com. Either way, you might hear your contribution on an upcoming episode. And if you want to hear Dan's whole conversation with Ginny Rometty, check out the show notes. We'll drop a link for you. This is Working is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Sarah Storm, Candice Weiner, Stephen Valdivia, Asaf Gidron, and Lolia Briggs. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop. I'm senior producer Nina Melendez. And I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Be well and stay curious. You have now reached your destination.